Oh, how he loves us. What, what a, I mean, when we think about that, and, and I loved how this young lady up here was kind of just expressing God's heart, that, that he pursues us. Isn't it? It's just incredible to think that there's a God who's all-powerful, who knows all things, that knows everything about our life. All of our darkness all of our wickedness and still longs and pursues and comes after us. And she, she was even saying, who doesn't want a God like that? And, and I just thought, you know, I know this isn't normal, but I just thought, even as Matt was praying, you guys don't need a message to say I'm in. You don't need a message to say I'm in. And just before I even share what, what I feel like God wants me to share tonight, is there anybody who would say, man, after these, these last, whatever, 24 hours, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I just want to give you that opportunity right now. That, that maybe you, you didn't respond last night. Maybe you've kind of come along and you're just checking this Jesus out. And, and you recognize today that, man, there's a God who loves me. How can I withhold my life before he didn't withhold his life me? That he gave it all. I'm just curious. Is there anybody out there? I would say right now, I don't need a message. I just want to surrender my life to Jesus. I just want to give you that opportunity. Is there anyone out here and say, I'm, I'm in? Just slip your hand up. There's one. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, God. Hey, let's just pray for our new brother. Amen. And friend, I would just encourage you just to say, Jesus, I'm all in. I repent of my sin, and I need you. Right? Just all you need to say is, Jesus, I need you. I want to give my life to you, spend the rest of my life for you. So God, we just pray for our brother. God, we just thank you, God, for his homecoming tonight. God, thank you that there is a, a celebration happening in heaven right now because he's come home. God, we celebrate with all of heaven. God, we thank you for his life, and we ask, God, that this weekend, this is the beginning, God, of, of this life with you. And I pray that you give him the grace. God, to get in the Word. I pray that you give them the grace to get alone with you, that you give them the grace that he needs, God, to follow you all the days of his life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give some God some praise. All right, so last night we, we talked about Hannah and how she was uh, going to, she, she contended, she fought to rise again. Out of the, 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 the pit of her circumstance, out of being barren and grieving over this reality, um, she rose to get before God. We, we talked about that and, and how she, her voice was heard in heaven. That she pressed in and how if we want to have a voice in this day and age, if we want to have a voice in this day and age, we need to have a voice where it counts the most and that's before God. And I just hope you understand that what we did here this morning from, from 9 to 10 as we as we sat at the feet of Jesus and we press in to the throne room for our, for our campuses and for what God's doing this weekend, I really believe this is where it begins, right? That this can't just happen on this weekend, but that we would begin to take this heart to get before God as individuals, as in a corporate body, and that we fight for this. And watch what would happen on your campus. I believe God is on the move and he's looking for a generation that will shake the earth with their voice because their voice is heard in heaven. Amen? So we kind of talked a little bit about that and contending to confess. And as I ended the message last night, I talked about how, how Samuel's life was brought about through this 
willingness to rise past her circumstances, rise to get before God, and Samuel's life was, was, was birthed, right? That God, that Eli, on her way out, she, he says, let God grant you your petition, and, and, uh, and Samuel is conceived and, and given to, to Hannah. And, and it's just such a powerful thing. Can I just say this again? We want to see so much of God on our campuses. We want to see God move. We want to see revival come. If you've been following Jesus for a little bit, we, we see and hear about great awakenings and they sound great. They sound amazing. But not, the great awakenings didn't just happen. They were, they were, they were fought for. They, there was a price that was paid in order to see great awakenings. And it was a, a, a price that was paid on our knees and, and contending and fasting and praying and going after it. That there would be a generation that would go after it. Amen? This is what we're looking for. This is what God is looking for. Is a generation that would go after it. And so, because anything worthy of, anything worthy needs to be pursued, Right? Or let me put it this way. All worthy things are pursued. Jesus, and I want you to think about this. Jesus shares this parable of the lost sheep. 99 are in the fold, and the shepherd is distraught and cannot rest until the one who's not in. He goes out to find this lost sheep. And the Bible says, until he finds it. Until he finds it. That Jesus pursues us in this way. It's just a powerful picture of his heart for you. That he felt, that God felt, that we were worth it. Amen? To pursue us. I want us to flip the coin tonight. And I want to say that he is worth it. Amen? That he's worth, he is worth pursuing. When I met, uh, I want to share my story with, with you about how I came to, uh, yeah, my love story. Is that cool? How Michelle and I met. You guys okay with anybody up for a love story? Okay. So let, let, me, let me back up. Before I met Michelle, a couple months before I met Michelle, it was over the summer. I met Michelle in November. But over the summer, I remember calling my mom telling my mom, I'm good. I'll be single for the rest of my life. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool with me, just me and Jesus. And my mom laughed at me. And said whatever, and so I, I, you know, was going after Jesus, running hard after Jesus. Was uh, at um, in my second year at the University of Maryland. I did two years there, one year as an internship intern, and then one year on staff. But I told them that what I wanted to do in that year on staff was I wanted to be able to have the freedom to leave a couple weekends a month to go visit other campuses and see where God wanted to call me for a longer period of time. I had this heart to pioneer. And Pete Ulett, who is the director at the University of Virginia, had been kind of recruiting me and asking me to come, but I had this idea that I was going to pioneer a new work, and so therefore I wasn't sure, I really felt called um, to UVA, but I was torn because I wanted to, to pioneer. And as I was drawn near to this decision, my campus pastor said, I want you to go visit James Madison University. And, and so I said, okay, so I, I looked into the path, it was a student-led group, there was no campus pastor there, they wanted me to go consider it, and, and so I just wanted to submit to their authority, and, and I said, yes. I said, but, but before I do that, could I go back to UVA one more time, they met on Monday night, Jamie and Kyle met on Tuesday night, and, and I will go and, uh, and visit James Madison if I could go to see UVA one more time, and they said, absolutely. So, 
So I went down to UVA. I went to the service. It was awesome. I felt even more impressed, like God is calling me here. Then the next day, before I went to JMU, Pete Bulette and I had lunch together. And at the lunch, Pete says, uh, I said, Pete, if I were to come here, what would it look like? And he said, I want you to pioneer international ministry. And I knew as soon as he said the word pioneer, the spirit left inside me, and I knew I was coming to UVA. So I had about a split-second thought where I thought, okay, I don't need to go to James Madison anymore. But I, I wanted to continue to be obedient to my campus director. So, so I'm about to leave for lunch, and Pete says, hey, one more thing. He says, I want you to know that we're heavily uh, female, as you can know from last night, that there's tons of females in our ministry. And so I looked at him and said, okay, just pray that I get married. <laughs> so he says, okay. So right there at this Mexican restaurant, he starts praying for my wife. And, uh, and then I get in the car. And I drive to James Madison University. I jump in the car. It's about a 50-minute ride from UVA to James Madison. And the Holy Spirit says to me, pray for the worship leader. So I start praying for this worship leader 10, 15, 20 minutes in. I'm trying to pray for something else. And I keep feeling the Spirit go, no, no, pray for this worship leader. Pray for this worship leader. So I'm okay, okay. So I get to campus. I walk around. I talk to some students about Jesus and kind of just get the, the feel for the campus. And I go to the meetings place where Kyle for meets way early. And so I decide I'm just going to spend some time in prayer. And so I start praying, and the Holy Spirit says, pray for the worship leader. I'm like, what's the deal with the worship leader, you know? And, and so I'm praying for this person. I, have, I know nothing about their Chi Alpha other than their spirit, their, their, you know, uh, a student-run group. That's all I know. And so here I am praying for this worship leader, and then the next thing that happened would have been, uh, would have been crazy if there was anybody else in the room. But this young lady walks in the room, and she's carrying sound equipment. And she stops, and we stare at each other, and my jaw hits the floor because of her beauty. And I just stared there and looked at her. And it, if there was anybody else in the room, it would have been so awkward because we just looked at each other. And then she says this, what are you doing here? <laughs> and so I got up, and, and I said, well, my name's Anthony Saladino. I'm here for the Chi Alpha meeting. I said, what are you doing carrying all the sound equipment by yourself? She said, well, I'm a worship leader. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. So that 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 night, man, all I could do is stare at the worship leader. You know, I was just staring at her. We went out afterwards, and there was probably about eight students that went out with us afterwards. But all of my questions were only directed at her. I mean, the other one answered, but I have no idea what they said because I was so beat on her answers. You know. And, and after it was over, she walks me to my car with one other girl named Sarah. So Michelle and Sarah walk me to my car. And, uh, <laughs> and, and this is not me. I'm from New Jersey. I like my personal space, you know. But she says, hey, thanks for coming. And she leans in for a hug. Yes! <laughs> There's hope! There's hope! And so she hugs me, I get in the car, and I leave. And I think a couple things as I'm driving down the road. One, all I know is her first name, and I have no contact information. Oh! But I called my mom in the car on the way home and said, Mom, I just met my wife. And, and so that was in November. In December, we had a men's retreat about 20 miles from James Madison University. I didn't have a car. And so I did one of those things. I said, hey, uh... To the, one of the campus directors, I said, would you mind if I borrow your car? I just want to take a little ride into town. 
Yeah. I totally didn't. I was not truthful. I didn't tell them where I was going. I just said, can I just, on our free time, I just want to take a ride. And so I get in the car and I beeline for James Madison University. All I have is this uh, generic email for, for uh, Kai Alpha. Now, you know what? I'm sorry. Somehow I have her email. I have to have her email. Oh, because I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So before I, I went, I, I knew the email for, for Kai Alpha. Not her personal email. So I emailed Kai Alpha, and I've never done this before, but I emailed Kai Alpha, and I said, Hey, this is Anthony. I don't know who, who gets this email, but I just want you to know, if you'd ever like me to come back and speak, I'd be happy to preach. <laughs> so... No lie. So a couple weeks later, I got an email, and it was Michelle Farina. Now, you have to know my last name is Saladino, and I'm Italian, and my dream has always been to marry an Italian woman. When I saw that she was Italian, again, I was like, oh, yes! This is the Lord! You know, this is the Lord. And so I did have her email. So I'm sorry that I missed that detail. So then I go to the campus, and I email her, and I said, listen, I'm on your campus for two hours. If you have any moments, I'd love to connect with you while I'm here. Hit send. I walk down to the coffee shop. I'm in line with the coffee. Oh, and I left my phone number, obviously. And so, <laughs> so I'm in line at the coffee shop, and my phone rings. And I knew immediately this is her. So I called my answer the phone, and it was Michelle. She's like, no, this is crazy, but I have the next two hours free. Oh, Jesus, love me. <laughs> And so she, I told her where I was, she comes walking in, and what was so powerful is the very first thing I saw in her that day that I saw her for the first time, I wanted to see again, to see, is that, is that still there? Like, I couldn't describe it at that moment, but sure enough, she comes walking in, and I know that I know that I know that this is the girl I'm going to marry. And so we sit down to talk, she's trying to convince me to be their campus pastor, and I'm just like, I need to marry this girl, you know, and that's, that's all I'm thinking. And so that was in, um, in December. I wound up going back to speak in January at their Chi Alpha. But in the middle of that time, I was calling her because I got her phone number, right? She called me. <laughs> so I saved it and I started calling her. And about the third phone call, she says to me, Hey, um, don't call me again. If you need any information about the time that you're coming to speak, you can talk to Mike. Here's his number. And so I had a really wise friend. And so he comes home one night. And we used to stand in the kitchen like all night long and pray and, and talk about Jesus. He goes, what's wrong? I'm like, man, Michelle's not interested in me at all. He's like, what happened? I'm like, she told me not to call her again. He's like, ah, oh, whatever. Someone told her just to say that. And I was like, are you serious? He's like, hey. Come on, we gotta keep pressing, pressing through. Keep going after. Okay. I don't know. So he says this. So I, I go back in January to speak at their Chi Alpha, right? And so I'm driving down, and I'm, I'm like, both like, does she have any interest in me at all? You know, I'm having this conversation with Jesus, and I was convinced I'm gonna marry this girl, but she's not interested in me. And so I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you need to talk to her, tell her your intentions. And so I was like, oh, that's probably a good idea. Gentlemen, take notes. They want to know your intentions. And so anyway, so, so here I go. I'm, I'm driving down. And of course, I get there early because I know she's got to sit up. She's the worship leader. And so I've got this time with her. And so what, what I do is I, I uh, but this time, for whatever reason, some other guy was helping her. 
And I was like, ah! I wasn't worried about it, but I was just thinking, I can't have this conversation with him. And um, so I said, hey, Michelle, can we grab coffee after the service is over? And she says, no. <laughs> so I was a sad little puppy dog. I went out with the other students after work, pretending that I wanted to be there. And, uh, <laughs> And so I drive home that night, and and I, at this point I'm like, man, I'm not really sure uh, she's interested. But I did get a text saying, hey, thanks for coming. I thought, oh Lord, there's hope. <laughs> hope was resurrected. And so in February we had a retreat just like this, except it was all of the Northeast, and so they called their their winter retreat too, all of the Northeast. And so I knew I was going to see her again, and I was praying. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? So I just decided that over the course of the retreat, I would try to spend a little time with her to just kind of see if there's any kind of interest. And so Saturday night after the service is over, her and I are hanging out, and we're talking, we're having a good time. I go back to my room, and I just decided, man, I need to pray. So I started praying, and I, I just realized this girl is so amazing that, Lord, you know what? You should probably take all of the feelings away. So I spent about till 3 a.m. praying God would take all of these feelings away. The next morning I wake up, and you know how Sundays are, you, you go and get, get some breakfast, you go to the service, you pack your car, and you go home, right? So here I am in the service, and I'm thinking, I'm never going to see her again, and, and this is that moment, I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible. But we step into the service, we worship, and I sit down in my seat to listen to the message, and I hear the voice of the Lord say to me, you need to talk to Michelle before you leave, and I'm thinking, what am I going to say, God? He said, don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you get there. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I need to know now. What, am I, what, what do you want me to say? And, and he goes, don't worry about it. And I argue with God the whole message. And the preacher says, everybody stand up. So now, I, now I'm, I'm listening to the, the speaker. He says, I want you to ask God what to say to the person to your life. That's just not in my life. Said, and there's also some people in this room that need to talk to somebody else before they leave. And, and, and he says this, love takes risks. What? I was like, what? Come on. And so, I, the poor guy to my left, right, he's like, I was like, Jesus loves you. I don't know, man. And so Michelle shares to the person in her life, and I'm just staring at her the whole time, just hoping she turns around and looks at me. She turns around and looks at me, and I say, can I talk to you? You know, I'm just now the across the So she comes over, and she sits down in the chair. And so I got that on my knee. And I said, will you marry me? No, I don't believe you. No, I didn't say, will you marry me? No, I didn't say that, but I did say, hey, listen, I can't let you leave this retreat without knowing my intentions. I want to pursue you. And she looked, she wouldn't look at me. She said, well, if you feel like that on Wednesday, give me a call. <laughs> Talk about perseverance. Come on, can I get some perseverance points? So I called her on Wednesday. I called her on Wednesday, and she says to me, oh, so she's leading a mission trip to uh, 
Maryland with her students because she was the, the president of Chi Alpha. And I would be hosting them while they were here. So we just decided that we wouldn't do anything. But the, the, the thing that she said to me the most, that, that she probably said three times in a conversation, she's like, I don't know why, but my heart's open to this. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> so, so we decided to pray and fast and seek the Lord until she came. And she came and we spent the week together where, you know, we're running, talking to people about Jesus. And I got to see just even more of this woman's heart and her passion for the lost and, her, and just her sensitivity to the spirit. And I was like, I need to marry this girl. And so I still don't know really where she stands at it. So I just did what, I mean, I'm like, I'm all in for this. So she leaves. I said goodbye. I knew it took, you know, two hours to get home. I called the florist in, in James Madison University. I said, I need a, a dozen white roses. And I need a, a tag that says someone has you on their heart right now. And, and so when she got there, she, she got to her house, and she called me. And so she called me, and I'm, I'm like, hey. So I thought she got the flowers. And I said, what's up? And then as soon as she said, well, I just got home, just wanted you to know I got home safe and just really enjoyed our time. And then there was a knock on the door. And she goes, there's somebody at my house. <laughs> I'm like, you need to go answer the door. She's like, I can't go do an answer the door. I'm home alone. I'm like, no, you really need to go answer the door. She's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm like, no, please. Please, answer the door. She goes, okay, hold on. And she comes back, and that was, again, one of the, the beginnings of, of our story. But I... I I want you to understand all worthy things need to be pursued. All worthy things need to be pursued. Let me tell you something. I, I have been blessed beyond words when it comes to the woman that I met and allowing God in that process but also not giving up. And I think what happens in our generation is that when things get difficult and when things are a little bit challenging, it's easier for us to just throw in the towel, especially when it comes to the things of God. You see, in order to pursue something, you need to be someone who perseveres. You have to have perseverance. I mean, think about it. Even to pursue your degree, if you have no perseverance, you're not going to make it four years. You've got to persevere. That through the hard times, through the hard knocks, through life, you've got to persevere. But you also have to position yourself. You also, it, it takes perseverance and position, right? If you don't position yourself in a way that, that can earn even the degree, or if I didn't position myself in a place to continue to pursue Michelle and where I'm at, then I don't, I don't get that. I don't get to the end and receive that. And so this, this is so critical, I think, even in the, the spiritual realm. And what we see here, Samuel encounters God and what seems like just kind of a random event, really what we discover as we pull back the curtain to his life is that really Samuel lived a life of perseverance in serving God. He served God despite even knowing he just did the, these menial tasks that we'll see in Scripture. But he also positioned himself for an encounter because he slept all night near the presence of God. Listen, we all need an encounter with God. And may we all have one and desire one like Samuel has. It's okay to desire and want an encounter with God. But it doesn't just come with fluff. There's a price that's paid, a price of persistence and posture 
as we will see tonight in our reading. So let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. God's calling to Samuel. And Samuel's first of many encounters with God. This is what the Word says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the Word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. So he went back and went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you call me. My son, Eli said. I did not call you, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you call me. And Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in the place, and the Lord came and stood there, calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli came and then said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it that he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you be ever so severely if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel and as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there, there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Wow. Wow. So Samuel, sleeping in the spot inside the tabernacle, close to the Ark of the Covenant, which was where the presence of God dwelt at that time. And Eli is sleeping somewhere else, close enough to Samuel, so that Samuel could hear him if he calls. What we need to understand is Eli is old, and his eyesight is failing. He can barely see. And we also know from chapter 4 in, in 1 Samuel that Eli is overweight. Right? So when Samuel assumes that Eli is calling him, it, it's not unnatural for that to be the case. Right? Because if, if there's a time in Eli's life where he needs help, it, because his eyesight is failing, it would be at night in the dark where, where he needs help for something. So it's, it's actually natural for Eli to, I mean, for Samuel to, to think Eli is the one that's calling him. Now, at this point in Samuel's life, what we need to understand is, you know, scholars believe that, that Hannah dropped 
Um, and we see this really from Scripture too, I think, a little bit. But Hannah dropped uh, Samuel off to Eli right around age three, because this is when they stopped nursing babies, around eight, when they would wean them in that time. And a few years have passed. We can assume that Samuel is closer to 12 years old because he's still referred to as a boy. So for three years old to 12 years old, he ministered unto the Lord. What's interesting is that he's ministering unto the Lord, doing these menial tasks around the tabernacle and serving Eli. So what you have to understand is as he, and in the process of doing that, right, his blood family hands him off to this priest who his own sons become his like wicked stepbrothers, right? Wicked stepbrothers, they're sinning. What you read about Eli's sons is that they're, they're, they're sinning is so, is so disgusting, right? They, would, they were sexually immoral with women that were coming to the temple. They were also robbing God of the sacrifices. They would, the, the sacrifices were supposed to be boiled first, and then they were supposed to stick a fork into the, the pot, and whatever they pulled out, they got to eat. But they would, they would fight for these people who were coming with their sacrifice, and they're offering unto the Lord, and they wanted the best part of the meat, and so they would just take it. Right? These guys were wicked. And these were the priests. Right? These were the priests, and these are the brothers, the stepbrothers of Samuel. Okay? And Samuel's again handed off to the Lord. This is the situation, and he's doing these menial tasks in the temple. What you have to understand is that these mundane tasks, there's actually lots of them that we see in Exodus 27 and Leviticus 34. Lampstands needed to stay lit throughout the night till the sun came up. He, had a, he was supposed to require to open the temple doors daily on top of the different types of cleaning chores that needed to happen throughout the temple. You, you know, I kind of almost see it as like, he's the only one that willing, right? That, that, so therefore, he's this little boy, and he gets put to work right away. And it says he's ministering unto the Lord in this, in this regard. It's powerful. And of course, helping Eli, serving him, bringing what he needed, whatever he needed. The mundane day and night tasks, serving. At times, I'm sure he probably even felt like a little bit of a personal attendant to Eli, um, while whose blood sons, whose biological sons, are out doing whatever they want, whenever they want. And Eli is just being faithful. You don't read about Samuel getting out. I'm sorry, Samuel just being faithful. You don't get to read about Samuel getting to go play with other little kids. You don't read about that stuff. He's there. We don't even read, we don't, we don't even understand Samuel's relationship with Eli to the degree. All we see is this, this one interaction, really. And even in that interaction, Eli threatens Samuel. You better tell me or else. I think it could be safe to assume that Samuel did not have it easy in the temple. Perhaps Again, he lived the male version of the Cinderella story. These wicked, messed up brothers. He was dedicated unto the Lord. His mom dropped him off at the temple and maybe saw him once, maybe twice, maybe three times a year. And yet, he was ministering unto a God that he knew about but did not know personally. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Nonetheless, we see Samuel persevere. He did not run away from his temple duties. He did not push it away. He did not 
get sick and tired of the mundane tasks that we see. He, he obeyed his mother and what she asked him to do to minister unto God and listen to Eli and do whatever he asked. That his character was being built in the midst of the mundane, in the hardship and the confusion and the, just the routine of the day. Day after day, this, this little guy would persevere for nine years doing things for a God he only heard about, not one that he knew personally. This is powerful stuff that he would persevere in this time. He did not give up on God, even though he had never felt him, seen him, or heard from him. He was faithful. Even as his master slept, he was faithful to carry out the temple duties. And that set him up for an encounter in a time when the voice of the Lord was rare. This encounter with God took a little boy and caused a spark within his heart that would set, an ablaze, that set ablaze a generation. Here's the takeaway. Perseverance matters. Perseverance matters, friends. Our perseverance in the mundane matters. Regardless of whether you feel or seen or have heard God personally, He is here and He is waiting to encounter us. It's through perseverance that leads to encounter. And these encounters take little boys and make them priests, judges, and prophets. Perseverance, persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay or achieving success. Your perseverance in the season of the mundane tasks matter. They matter to God. You taking care of your schoolwork, your leadership responsibilities, your family relationships, how you treat others, your personal devotion, and your little to-dos all matter to God. All of these things matter to God. And, and listen, I, I want to be honest with you. Listen, serving the Lord and, and in these Menial tasks. I think the generation that we're serving and that we're reaching out to, your generation, I think it's hard to be behind the scenes. It's hard to be behind the scenes. But you cannot despise the small beginnings. You cannot despise small beginnings. I remember my brother-in-law, this intense evangelist, and when he signed up to, to kind of come and do ministry, the church made him clean toilets. I'm like, that's a little harsh, man. So let me ask you a question. What kind of character is developed scrubbing toilets? Right? We've got to understand God is also about this character development in the process of you walking and carrying out the mundane tasks of life. You see, I love that it says Samuel is ministering to the Lord because what he was doing, none of us would call ministry. Keeping the lamp, the, the lamps burning. How many call that ministry? Opening up the doors. But he was ministering unto the Lord in the process of taking care of Eli and doing these, these menial tasks. It's important for us to understand. This is part of God's plan. I want to I want to encourage you to be faithful in the will, to be faithful behind the scenes. Be faithful in the years of the mundane. Be faithful to carry out these things and work at it as unto the Lord. 
that whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I remember I was at the University of Virginia and I was serving on staff with Pete Ulett and we were doing a senior banquet and I was I cooked I, I did all the meals uh, for our senior banquets and so cooking these London broils and, and potatoes and carrots and serving up salad and cheesecake and doing all those things and I was down in the kitchen and I was serving the students and actually this one year we did homemade brownies and, and ice cream for for their dessert. And Pete's up there, and they're, they're all sharing their, you know, what God's done in their life over the last four years. And, and I'm getting a little angry, and there's this brownie smushed into the floor. And I'm getting on the floor, and I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. And the Lord's like, actually, this is exactly what you signed up for. Nobody ever sees me. Nobody will ever know I'm cleaning up their brownies. They stepped on and smushed them to the floor. And the Lord says, well, you're doing it for me, not for them. I did call you to serve students, and this is serving students. Who cares if they ever see it? You're doing this for me. God forgive me. So I don't know where you guys are at. I don't know where you come from. I know God knows. If your life broken or it's been hard because of circumstances, because of different things that you grew up with, family dynamics or parents getting a divorce never knowing a father never knowing a mother perhaps maybe you felt abused, mistreated or abandoned, can I just be honest with you, I have to believe in some way Samuel could probably relate in some way which honestly when we, when we think about that. These are the very things that want you to give up. Aren't they the things that kind of press us to want to give up and not persevere? Because we, 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 we fall back on these, these hardships in life and we're just like, man, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. His parents gave him up. Only saw him a couple times a year. He lived with Eli. He had sons that were terrible. But Samuel did not let all of that, all of his circumstances, hinder him from persevering and ministering unto the Lord all those years. All those years. The craziest things about Samuel is again that he ministered unto the Lord without personally knowing him yet. So we get all upset. There's encounters we've already had. If you said yes to Jesus, there's probably, I mean, you wouldn't be here if you said yes to Jesus and without an encounter with God, right? The most amazing miracle you'll ever see is, is saying yes to Jesus' salvation. The craziest thing is Samuel, he's doing all these things for year after year, day in and day out, without actually knowing this God personally. He just knows of this God, and he's willing to do the task. This is, this is the thing that convicts me more than anything, is that he will persevere in, in doing something where he doesn't have the personal relationship with God. And we complain... And we, we give up, and we don't press through, and we don't persevere in prayer. We don't persevere to Bible study. We don't persevere in service. We don't persevere in lingering at the altar for the breakthrough. We don't fight. We don't roll up our sleeves to persevere in these places. And we know God. Samuel. He's not heard the voice of God. And yet, he pushes 
This was so who I was. I was just like Samuel. And some of you might be like Samuel in the sense that, man, you're doing things and you're just hoping that God shows up. Or maybe you think this is all that Christianity is. For 21 years I went to church without knowing God. I went to church without knowing God. I lifted my hands because people lifted their hands in worship. I sang songs because people sang songs. I sat in the seat and I opened my Bible because people sat in the seat and opened a Bible. But I didn't know God. Maybe some of you are here. Listen, there's a God that wants you to have an encounter this weekend. John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The word know means to personally and intimately interact with. This is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you, to know to, to, that you would personally and intimately interact with him. So if you don't know, if you've been going through the motions like I did for 21 years, God wants to have this encounter. Here's the powerful thing. Sometimes we don't even realize that our perseverance in just doing the mundane, not even understanding perhaps sometimes why we're doing them, we just think we're supposed to. And all of a sudden God shows up. And I believe there's some people here tonight that, man, you don't know God personally, but he's about to show up in a way that's going to wreck your world. I'm so grateful you're here. Others here tonight have been struggling to persevere in the monotony of life. You've been struggling to push through in, in serving the Lord and ministering unto the Lord. Listen, I see this all the time. God is calling a generation to perseverance. I see this all the time. People not wanting to, to have another one-on-one, not wanting to go to another Bible study, not wanting to lead, wanting to give up because it's just hard. It's easier to go throughout college without having to serve Jesus and disciple other students and, and reach them and, and go to this and go to that. It's easier to just... But God is looking for a generation to persevere. There is no man or woman in the hall of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11 that didn't have to persevere in their life. It takes persistence and perseverance. I want you to think about this for a second. Noah, in the hall of faith, do you think it didn't take perseverance to live as a man of righteousness in a time when everybody was wicked? Their thoughts all the time were wicked all the time. What does that even look like? That when God looked out on the planet, he saw one man, one man. Talk about perseverance. And we're willing to throw in the towel because God doesn't speak fast enough. Have mercy, Abraham. Come on. Koch says, I want you to leave this. I want you to take everything and don't come back. And I'll show you when you get there. And Abraham packs up all those things and he heads out. You know how far it was from Haran to Canaan? 500 miles. Talk about perseverance. To get to the promised land. They walked that. There was no cars. How many times they're like, are we there yet? And Moses, I mean, Abraham was like, I don't know. Because uh, God didn't tell me where I was yet. <laughs> so we'll just keep going. He was a hundred years old. When the promise was birthed. Joseph dreams his brothers sell 
into slavery. Slavery to prison. Talk about perseverance. And when you see Joseph's life, you're like, dude, the man never complained. Daniel, captivity. Not only did he, did he go through captivity, but then he had to deal with people being prejudiced. Didn't like him. Peter, Paul, John, come on, it can go on and on and on. They didn't get to where they were if they didn't persevere. There was a perseverance that they needed to, to keep going on. They didn't give up. They kept going. And it's why we read about their lives. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to I persevere in this thing. I want, I want people to know that there is a God worth dying for, worth living all of my life for. Yeah. Not just Wednesday nights, not just Sunday mornings, but every waking moment. That there's perseverance that needed and yes, through the mundane. I love Will, William Wilberforce. He said this, our motto must continue to be perseverance. And I will trust that Almighty, the Almighty will crown our efforts with success. You know who William Wilberforce is, right? He's the man that was used by God to abolish slavery. Come on. And it was only by perseverance that he was willing to. I already said this in the beginning. Luke 15, 14. The lost sheep. Jesus, it was perseverance. The shepherd's heart is to go after the one until he finds it. How can we not come after God until and just persevere? Keep coming at it. He came after us with everything. He didn't hold anything back from us. And we so easily give up. He's so faithful. We live in a generation that wants things to come easy. We've lost the fight. You need to get hungry and you need to roll up your sleeves and say, you know what, God, I don't care. I don't care what, what I have to give up because you gave up everything and I'm coming after you and I don't care. I'm coming after you. I will go through the, all of the mundane tasks just to be with you, just for one glimpse of your glory, just for one, one, one word from your mouth, just whatever it takes. I want that. Where are the people that will persevere? I mean, how many times in life do we go to a prayer meeting? How many times in life do we, do we give up or we're like, oh, man, you know, or, or we just refuse to, to show up to a Bible study or we just, we're so easily, you know, just distracted from the things of God and we won't persevere in the things uh, of, of faithfulness. I love Jesus teaches us to be persistent, like a persistent widow. I remember when I went back home to, to New Jersey and I, just really struggled that first year, weeping, asking God to come back. I shared this last night. Then I went into my student teaching and I got to live at home. And finding time with Jesus was really difficult. Really difficult. My parents had two dogs that like, if you're awake, they're like trying to nudge your feet. You know, they just, they just need to be pet. They need to be touched. And I just couldn't focus on the word of God. So I'd get up at 5 a.m. and I'd go sit down at the kitchen table and I'd start trying to read the word of God. And the dogs are like, eh. And then I would, so then I'm like, okay, I'm going to shut them out. And they're scratching at the door, you know. And then I put them outside and they're trying to get back in. I'm like, I just want some time with Jesus. My dad would get up because he worked with TSA. He retired and they got another job. And so he was working at TSA and he worked. He'd have to leave the house um, like around, I think, 530 at the time to get to work. And, and I, just, I just was like, man, what am I going to do? God, I need, I, need, I need you. I can't do this without you. And so I decided, you know what? There's only one place I could go to fight for time with Jesus. And that was the car. And so every morning I'd get up and 
I'd, I'd, I'd head outside and I'd sit in the car and I wouldn't turn it on because I didn't, I was not, I didn't want to waste gas. <laughs> and it was cold. And so I'd sit in the car and I'd pray and I'd read my Bible and nothing. Three months went by. I did it every day for three months. December, January, February. And I thought, Jesus, do you not see me? It is freezing out here. And it's early. Surely you should speak to me at some point. And to be honest, I wish it was, it was that easy. But I, I remember at the end of three months, I went into my house and I threw my Bible on the table and I said, that's it. I'm done. I've been out there every day for three months and you've not said one word. And I was, I was telling my, my mother that day, and I don't even know what she said. I was telling her, like, I'm so frustrated with God, I can't believe he, he would not speak to me. And in the moment, in this conversation with my mom, I heard this still small voice. And he said this, how bad do you want it? And all of a sudden, the athlete in me rose up. And I said, oh, I'll be there tomorrow. And I went the next day thinking, oh man, here it comes. Lay it on me, Jesus. You want to know something? For the next few months, I still didn't hear a word. But that little voice that said, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Will you persevere in the place of prayer to encounter God? Will you persevere in the word of God to, to, to just encounter God? Will you lay down your life and persevere through the mundane tasks of life to minister unto the Lord just so that you can position yourself for an encounter? Will you persevere? This is what God's calling us to. This is what God's calling us to. Listen, I, I believe Samuel encountered God because he was willing to persevere through the mundane Secondly, positioning matters. Our second application for tonight is that position matters. Samuel was positioned to an encounter by getting in the presence of God night and day. Our position matters when it comes to encounter. Where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our time? Do we pursue getting into God's presence and around His presence, carriers, His, his people? So we see it from this passage of Scripture that He's sleeping every night in the tabernacle near the Ark of the Covenant. And so let me just share a little bit. The, the tabernacle, also called the Tent of Meeting, had been in the city of Shiloh for a few hundred years now with the Israelite people. Inside the tabernacle was a special place called the high where I'm sorry, a special place only the high priest could go in once a year called the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. The priests wore special garments and bells on their ankles as they walked inside the Holy of Holies where the Ark of God dwelt. The Ark was where the presence of God lived. And we learn a little bit about this in Exodus 40. We see that the Ark of the Covenant was, was, was uh, mobile, but it had come to rest in Shiloh for, for years. And this Ark, again, was the presence of God. This is where the presence of God dwelt. And we see that Samuel was positioned outside, near the Ark of the Covenant, for an encounter. He positioned himself. He slept every night in the presence of God. We should long to have an encounter with God like this. To feel His presence, to touch Him, to hear from Him. We are made for His presence. We were made in His presence is the fullness of joy. We see David write about 
how he loves God's presence. In Psalm 84, my soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And this should be our heart. This should be what we long for. That we want to feel and to hear and to see God. It's okay to desire that. It's okay to desire encounter with God. You know, I, 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 I love this, but it, it's going to take position and perseverance. I mean, how quickly we, we do, when, when even we come to conferences like this, how quickly we, we give God a little opportunity, we may even respond at an altar, and we come up here, and then we're like, you know what, there's things going on afterwards that I don't want to miss. Or how many times do we sit down, even in our quiet time, and we, we sit down for prayer, and then our phone starts buzzing, and we, we've got to text this person, and we've got to message this person, and then we've got to check Facebook, because we're so worried we're going to miss out on something. This FOMO is, is, is beginning to impact a generation. What we need is a fear of missing out on God. Come on, we need a fear of missing out on God instead of missing out on what your social life is, that you would be a generation that is worried that you're going to miss God's voice in the moment. God has given us his presence through his written word, his people in nature, and we just need to position ourselves in a place where we can encounter him. Listen, this is why you need your, your time with the Lord. You need your time with the Lord. You need, you need to fight for your time with the Lord to position yourself in an opportunity to encounter God. Are you desperate for an encounter with God? If you're desperate for an encounter with God, then you would position yourself in places that you can encounter God. It's why I don't, I'm like, man, when I was, here, when I was a college student, I didn't have to pray about it. Missions trips. I didn't pray about going on retreats. I didn't pray about salt conferences. I didn't pray about winter conferences. I was there. I'm like, Kyle was doing it. Jesus shows up. I'm going to be there. Because I was just desperate. We can't be too proud to pursue God in this way. God loves it when his children are hungry for more of him. I love this quote from Timothy Keller. It says, It's because Jesus Christ experienced cosmic thirst on the cross that you and I can have spiritual thirst, our spiritual thirst satisfied. Our God is a God who satisfies. And getting in his presence is one of the most satisfying things that we can ever experience in this day and age. You know, God is still God whether we see him, whether we feel him, hear him, or not. But it is true that God wants to meet with us. He is a personal God. I love this, the day of Pentecost. This day of Pentecost, this pattern of Pentecost is to be re replicated. It wasn't a one and done thing. Jesus told them to wait. There's something about the waiting. There's something about positioning ourselves and waiting. Positioning ourselves and waiting for God. Positioning ourselves and waiting. That we can, we have to also persevere in the waiting. These guys were, were gathered in an upper room for 10 days. Yes, they came and gone, but they were, they were praying together for 10 days. Man, when's the last time we, we decided to position ourselves for 10 days until God moved? Until the promises of God were released in our life. Listen, this was not a one and done thing. God is looking to pour out His Spirit afresh on a generation to, to empower us to be witnesses, to see people ripped out of hell. He's looking and waiting for people. But the problem is we're so focused on everything else other than God. We have to position ourselves and fight to get alone with God and position ourselves and linger and wait. 
Will we linger, linger and wait? This, this encounter in the upper room where they heard supernatural sounds of wind. They saw supernatural sights of tongues and fire. And he gave them supernatural languages. It's still an encounter God wants all of us to have. He wants you to encounter the supernatural. He wants to show you his power and how real he is. And how much more do we need another Pentecost in our day? We need another Pentecost in our day. God shows up in dark times. I believe God wants to show up in this, in this weekend. Jackie, if you come on back up. As, as Jackie's coming up, we need to get hungry for the presence of God. We need to get hungry for an encounter, perseverance and positioning. You know what's interesting to me is, is we will persevere and we will position ourselves for anything that we see is valuable. Does anybody find it interesting that when a new Chick-fil-A opens up, people camp outside that Chick-fil-A for all night long? Why? Because they just want to get a year's worth of Chick-fil-A. How about when, a, when an awesome band comes to town? You see, you watch your students sit out in the ticket office making sure they get their ticket. They'll camp out all night. They will persevere through the night and they will position themselves to make sure they get a ticket for a stupid concert. A concert. Or a big game comes to town. Guys, I don't know if you realize this. But man, we do things like this all the time. What are we going to start doing this kind of stuff for God? That we will persevere through the night. That we position ourselves for an encounter with God. A God who desperately wants to meet with us. People do this for Black Friday, for concerts, for big games, for Chick-fil-A. When will we do this for God? I find it interesting that we yet we struggle to get to an altar. We struggle to close the door in our prayer closet. We struggle to open the Bible daily. When will we persevere and position ourselves to encounter God? A.W. <laughs> Tozer says this in the pursuit of God. I want the presence of God himself. I do not want anything at all to do with religion. I want all that God has or I don't want any. That we would persevere and position ourselves to meet with God. After I got saved in Montana, I went back out and served a year on staff. And, and, you know, I was single. We, I lived in a house with ten guys, and there was always people at our house. There was always people at our house. In fact, the girls in Montana believed that the way to a man's heart was through his stomach. And so every, I'm not even kidding, almost every night girls were bringing over brownies or cookies or something. My house was buzzing all the time. And I just, I just wanted more God. And I realized that I would spend all these nights fellowshipping around the table, but not really encountering God, not really connecting with God. And I had already, you know, I was, I was an early riser, so I'd wake up at 5.30 in the morning and spend time with Jesus. 
And, and I just decided, I hit a point where I was like, you know, God, I just got to have you. I got to have you. And so I decided that every morning I'd get up, but that every night I, I would open and close my day with God. And so every night I'd close my room at 10 o'clock and people would be like, where are you going? I was like, I need to go. I need to go spend time with Jesus. And I would close my door and they'd be like, whatever, we're here. And I'm like, I know you're here. I'll see you tomorrow. And so I'd go into the room and I'd close my door and I'd start reading and I'd worship. I remember most of the nights I'd get down on my knees and just start worshiping Jesus on my floor. And then I'd move to my desk and I started writing out scripture because I do better memorizing scripture and getting scripture in me as I wrote it out. And friends, three different times, three different times in those, those moments and those seasons, the presence of God would come in the room so thick. In fact, the reason why I paused when I read that the Lord stood there with Samuel because I've had these encounters where God was standing in my room and I felt like if I opened my eyes, I'd die because I'd see and, and I would lay there with my, my head down. I'd be shaking and the room would be so bright. And I'd tell the Lord, you got to go. I can't handle your presence. I can't handle your presence. you got to go. And then he would leave and I would leave and I would leave and I would leave. Three different times. And I shared that with you. Because God's not a respecter person. I believe we all need to encounter. Guys, I've been ruined. I've been ruined. One moment. I can't. I can't. Handle not experiencing God's presence like that. It's what we were created for. But it will require perseverance. And it will require position. I position myself every morning and every night. And by the grace of God, God showed up eventually. But will we get hungry enough to desire God like that? Will we persevere tonight? I believe God wants. Each and, every, each and every one of us to encounter him. But even more than that, I believe he wants to stir a hunger for him. Listen, God's God. But if there's anything that happens over the course of this weekend that you hunger and desire God more than anything and more than anyone. But tonight, if you're struggling in perseverance, if you're struggling to persevere in your relationship with God, that the mundane tasks of life, the mundane aspects of life are wearing you out. You feel like you're discouraged when it comes to believing for breakthrough, hopeless in circumstances, and you don't feel God, and maybe you've never felt God. I believe tonight God wants to meet with you. If that, if that resonates with you, if that's something that God is speaking to your heart, if that's where you're at in life, then I want you to come to the altar right now. If you feel like, man, there have been times you wanted to give up or you feel discouraged, like you're not going to have breakthrough, I want you to come to the altar. I want you to be encouraged by serving God is, is looking for a group of people that will persevere. And lastly, there's some of you that are really struggling to fight for position. You really struggle to, to get to prayer. You really struggle to, to get alone with God. You really struggle to, to get to these places, to Bible study. Fasting is difficult. You've really had a hard time positioning yourself for an encounter. Then I want you to come to the altar. 
And I want you to take a moment. Just, just press in. Just press into the Lord. I just, before anything happens, I want you to press into the Lord. So that may mean you need to get down on your knees. That may mean you can stand there. But whatever that looks like, I want you to begin pressing into the Lord. Just press into the Lord. Begin talking to Him. God, I want you more than anything. I want you more than anyone. God, I want to be a man of perseverance. I want to persevere to the end. God, I will do anything. God, I will go the distance. God, I will not give up on you. Even when I don't feel you. Even when I don't hear you. I will not give up. I know you're real. I will press in. I will persevere. I will not give up. No matter what I don't see. No matter what I don't feel. God, I know that you're real. Come on. I know that you're real. I know that you're real. God, forgive me for being a person that gives up. God, God, forgive me for my little faith. God, forgive me. God, for doubting that you're this big. God, forgive me, God. Come on. Right now. Press in.